Expose my art, yo, here's the spark. There's blood in the water, so where's the sharks? Yeah, it's dark, we'll get all these torches. Let's light the spotlights and all the worthless. We're back into the way we work this art. Raises up against those that hurt us. Damn, don't know if I said this, but yo, get this. It's all about artists lifting artists. Come on, man. I know how hard, hard is. I've been down here in the trenches. Got a vision, brah. Pull out your wrenches. How does art speak truth to power? On this show, we do it in our art. Through our music, in the poetry of our language, or by the comedy that we find in the darkness of days. This art may offend, or we are imperfectly human and uncensored on the Truth to Power podcast. We will frame spiritual, political, and social topics through the lens of art. We hope that the themes will enlighten as well as entertain. For on the Truth to Power podcast, we truly wish to build enthusiasm for being connected. Thanks for listening. Kick it. Aw, yeah. Right back in, right back here. It's your boy, Ace Cannon. I got my man across the way. Curious G. And what show is this? This is the Truth to Power podcast. Oh, let's go. Mm, and perfectly human. But so we've got something kind of different happening today. Ooh, different. Yeah. So we finished the three album set for The Prophet 2022. Mm-hmm. And we're about to begin a new concept project called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell mm. based off of William Blake. You know who that dude is? A poet. Kind of. He was a, a writer, writer, poet, English Every, dude. Everything. He was, on, he was on a lot of opium, basically. He was high as a motherfucker. I was high. But he wrote this thing called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. And basically, it was prose poetry, but it actually had, you know, uh, it touched on some philosophy, you know, in a very abstract opium kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, you know, it was the age of enlightenment. They were yeah, seeing things yeah, from all angles. They were they were all getting all they were all getting enlightened. Yes. You know what I mean? And uh, basically the br- the breakdown of the marriage of heaven and hell has always interested me quite a bit. Um so th- the way he broke it down it's like this. Heaven for him was like the ideals of our beliefs. Right? Like love and hope and, you know, kindness and, and these things. And there was this place that you lived within your principles. You can't actually live it in your day-to-day life, but it's the thing that guides you. That's the heaven. And the closer we are to that, the closer we are to mm-hmm. having, you know, like a spiritual heavenly type of existence, right? And the hell for him was was the desires of of our flesh, right? The desires of our ego. Mm. That's the hell. So the marriage of heaven and hell is the human body or the human experience. Mm. So on this next concept project, I did two albums based on the marriage of heaven and hell. One album takes you through hell and one album takes you through heaven. But what's interesting is the way that I release the the albums and, and the way we're going to go through it on this podcast is the way that I released it. So I released five tracks off of each album at the same time. 
five tracks off of Heaven's album, five tracks off Hell, because I didn't want to do just like 10 tracks all at once on in Hell. <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, just hanging out I here. I was like, that might be depressing. Then we got so, four more songs of this shit. All right, so let's go. The first album is um, The Devil's Breath, um, uh, Inhale, and then there's going to be The Devil's Breath, Exhale coming up. Um, then the first one of Heaven is Sounds Coming Through the Mask. And the last one is uh, going to be called Ambrosia's Diner. But um, that's basically the concept. And I wanted to do an episode in between starting a new song, right? Um, and I started to think, man, this is, a, this is a complicated topic here. And I don't want to do two back-to-back episodes on this topic. I want to do this episode on this topic in okay. between concept albums. Um, and, and then when we sit down with, uh, the governor, uh, potential governor, um, we are going to revisit this topic again. Okay. So this topic today, we're going to be looking at art itself. Um, because basically I've been doing some, um, projects that have some depth to it. You know, we, we, we've just spent almost a year getting into the topics of the first three albums, you know? And, um, we could, we could easily spend the next, uh, you know, 40 weeks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, going through the, the next two albums. Um, if we keep the same type of pace that, that we've been doing, cause it, it, with the last album, we switched over to doing, um, two, two yeah. weeks, a, a song. So, you know, these are some complicated ideas, but the, the basic thing that I want to look at is art itself the way that art connects us, the impact that it has on our lives. And, and the big question is, is um, has art been devalued? You know, that's one of the things I want to explore over the next, you know, two. <clears throat> that's a great question. Yeah. That's a really good topic. Yeah. I like that I didn't know it was coming today. Ooh, but you're going to know next time though. Yes. Now. So, all right, you want me to kick it off with a little something now that I've set the stage? Yeah, let's go. Okay. I always like to start with a quote. Yes, uh, and I like the quote. And and we're going to look at the, the the group that this dude was a part of. He was a philosopher. His name is Herbert Marcuse, Marcusa. Um, and we've talked about him before and you were like one of the, when you heard his quotes before, you're like, wait a minute, I don't know if I like this motherfucker. <laughs> he just said some shit. <laughs> I'm about to find out. Okay. So this is what Her- Herbert Marcusa says. The most effective enduring form of warfare against liberation is the implanting of material and intellectual needs that perpetuate obsolete forms of the struggle for existence. Now, art is, is kind of like a, a, a form of, of reflecting the human experience and the struggle for existence, right? Um, but I think that, that art today has been devalued in, in an extreme way. It's being perpetuated, and it's kind of a, an obsolete type of form these days, you know? It, it's... It's really weird. All right. I, this is, I like this topic because mm. <clears throat> I think of it, I think of it in financial. I always think of everything in money. It's just how my brain kind of works and just goes. And it's so weird that like the word in art and entertainment 
aren't synonymous. They actually don't go hand in hand to me in a sense, because some of the, like the cheapest forms of entertainment are the most profitable. And I think of like TikTok and I think of like someone just doing like a dance and then getting like paid for it. And it's considered like, that's how you're, you know, valued and you're dancing and that's like an art form. Right. And then I think of someone, you know, like a, it's, but, it, but yet it's always the first thing to get cut. Like when budgets happen, mm. like sports never get cut. It's always like arts. And it, it's just, I just find that always just, just ironic how, how the arts are what a lot of people make money on, on a, on a, you know, on a large scale, but on at the smaller, you know, smaller scale, I guess, city scale or layman scale, it's like devalued. Like you're saying, it's just not as important but yet there is so many options through art to have lives and careers. You know, it's just, yeah, it's weird to me because yes, I do believe it is devalued. Mm. So. Well, you know, I think what's really been devalued is the artist. Yeah. And you can see that with like Spotify, you know, even like that, I, I guess I'm taking it with just one art is I'm thinking of just entertainment, um, which is not, I know that's not necessarily the exact angle because there's also like painting and, you know, like we said, well, all of that. There's just a lot of arts. Arts is a very broad, broad statement, but or broad, I guess. What am I trying to say? All of that. I mean, no, I think painting. I, I think that uh, writing. I think that music. I think film. A lot of these things have been devalued in, in, in every area, and you can even take, you know, like paintings and things like that. The ones that really seem to to have a high value come from people that went to really good art schools, yeah, and already travel within certain groups. Yeah, your circles. You just so I I had um, somebody that I knew that um, and to give you an idea of, of what type of person this was, they were having President Bush over for dinner at their house on Friday night, right? And, and I was in her dining room and in her dining room, let's say it's bigger than a lot of people's like apartments, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, it, it was sizable. She had done um, uh, basically an artistic version of the Sistine Chapel in her dining room where she painted on the ceiling, but she did replicas of famous paintings on her ceiling, right? This is somebody that never really um, worked a, a regular job like you or I, you know, they had generational wealth um, and, and afforded every, you know, um, opportunity. opportunity when it came to art you know, to be able to explore. And she was, she was an amazing person and, and she was a beautiful person um, inside and out for, for the part of her that I knew. Um, and her talent was amazing. Um, now, this is a person that um, is definitely living in the 1%. Um, I'm not that dude. Me either. But her and I were able to come together in some conversations about art and at, at the time that we had those conversations, we stood on equal footing. Yeah. Right. I was able to understand exactly what she was doing with her art. Um, and she was able to understand exactly what I was doing with mine. Um, but there was some differences between what, what her experience in the world was with her art yeah. and my experiences with, with art. Um, <laughs> see, she had, like I had mentioned... President Bush at the time, baby Bush, coming to her home for dinner that Friday night. 
that was a different type of an experience to be able to show that. There's a level of respect that comes with the art that she's going to do from the people that travel in those circles. I sold weed. (laughs) (laughs) People came over to my house and they'd be like, oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I never went to the schools or any of that kind of stuff. And um, there's a there's a, a devaluation of how we perceive things. And a lot of it goes back to something called um, the mirror response. If we see a lot of people like a singer, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to like that singer. <clears throat> but was it you that was telling me about, was that Kanye West was trying to like, who, who was that artist you were telling me about just this past week that was performing these multi-million dollar songs and nobody was interested? What, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was Kanye. Kanye. Yeah, it was Kanye when he was at Rockefeller Records and it was the first time when he was just making beats and no one ever looked at him as a rapper. And he's rapping, you know, Jesus Walks in front of people and no one's blinking an eye or, you know, it's just, it's just wild. But for me, you know, I'm a creative genius and there's no other way to word it. Yeah. Because, you know, people hadn't heard it before. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, and, and a lot of times we, we you know, if, if 15 people are running to the stage, I might be curious what's going on over that stage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be the same song for that that person as somebody sitting on the corner trying to perform for change in a hat. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it, it re- really comes back to... Uh, the way that the, the business aspect of music is, is been treating the artists for a while. I think that there has been um, a, a purposeful intention to devalue artists because I think that there's a fear that art can cause people to become revolutionaries. Well, it's, it's not even just that it's just that, that, and then also like, you, you realize you don't need them like anymore. Like realistically, it's they're just there because they're, they're distribution channels. Mm. You know, besides that, you don't need them for anything else. And even now, it's I always I, I'm not a big Macklemore fan as the artist, as a music artist, but as him as a businessman, bro, I'm a big fan of how he did shit. Dude, that thrift store song. Oh, that slapped. That's dude. dude. No, Ryan. Oh, oh, my... I would say Ryan Lewis, bro. If, that, you don't, if you don't know Ryan Lewis, just listen to all the beats on Macklemore. That's and you're in like, my this shit slaps. That's in my Ace, my Ace uh, playlist. Yeah. yeah, that shit, that shit slaps. So that beat is dope. Mm. <laughs> but you know that I think that there is an intention to devalue the artists themselves, um, and the reason why I think that is because you know I I think that there's some free thinking that comes from true art. And this is what has been intended to devalue. Um, so not a while ago, we covered a song called Voodoo. It was in the first album that I did, and it was a few songs in. It was it was about something that KRS-One had actually talked about. I don't get nervous when my hip-hop hit. A soul out here, we just want that lift. I come from the source of hip-hop gift. Where words like law, tight lip fit. You can serve and swerve, but don't sit therein. Trespass charges, they come on quick. They switch the shaft when they promise tip. Snip them dogs before they bit. But this impact got built to bark, not sit. Bread proud, hungry, fuck fit. Slapped aloud, then the music hit. Our ass got down hard as Chris could spit. I can feel the muses hit. Reflect, project that lift. Bottom drops, bass to kick open them words I live X town by law with the lawless live X town by law with the lawless live. 
um, that the whole song was written for KRS-One. And it came after he did this interview where he talked about working for uh, a label. And his job was to get musicians to sign on to the label. And he said that it made him spiritually sick and he had to step away from that business because he felt like part of the intention of the business was to silence true artist voices. Yeah. You know, and to kind of put them into categories that were safe for business. You know, he didn't say it quite that way, but that's kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is we've dumbed down the the messaging Message. in a lot of art. Yeah, for sure. And it's also that and just oversaturated. Yes. You know, there's no albums anymore like there used to be. Like albums used to be a really big thing. I mean, albums still come out, but it's singles now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about singles, putting out singles and just keeping yourself. But what you're saying is... It's so true. Um, dude, I, I had this thought once and I was, and maybe you can even answer this, but you know how like ballad singers were big deal back in like the 50s, 60s and 70s? Like I was thinking today, I can't think of very many ballad singers or people that you were like anticipating their album to drop. The only person I could really think of, like I could think of only a couple and I could, I thought of uh, Adele. Mm-hmm. I thought of her like dropping, it's like a big deal. I thought of Beyonce in the world. Like, like everyone's like, Oh my God. Kind of like when Michael Jackson would drop, like people were like, right, Oh right, shit. Right. It's not like that anymore. Never is going to be like that. Cause of streaming. But I was thinking there are like timeless songs. Obviously you never know, but I don't, I can't think of a song in the last like 10 years where I was like, yeah, that's the, that's the cut. You know, I don't know. It's just, I've been, I think a lot about the music stuff all the time. It's really interesting to me. Well, you know, I think that part of that is exactly what we're talking about, how the artists themselves have been devalued. So I kind of did a little research on this. And this is in 1970s. If you were to look at an actual album, the 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 money that would be per song on on average um, generated two dollars and thirty three cents per song when when you sold the album this and that, right? So for you picture so an average per, per album, someone made $2 and 33 cents per, per song, per song, per song. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. So that's the, well, they didn't make that. Yeah, that's that, what the song the, was worth. The song was worth when you looked at the cost of buying an album. Oh, okay. I understand what you're saying. Okay. Yep. 1990s. It was $2. 2005. It was a dollar and 40 cents. Now with streaming services where we pay on average $10 per month, getting, gaining access to the, like millions of songs, right? Unlimited consumption possibilities. Um, it makes music nearly worthless. Yeah. Um, at a perceived value of 0.00001 cent <laughs> per song. Um, put that in a little bit more digestible terms. Uh, for every hundred dollars paid in streaming services, um, the the revenues, uh, you're making about sixty three cents as an artist. For every hundred dollars, for every hundred dollars, you're making sixty three cents into the yeah. into the reven- streaming revenues yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> the artist is making sixty three cents out of that. So you might have been been buying an album for 
let's say 10 bucks back in 1970s and you'd make two something, you know, mm-hmm. that, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But now it's, it's 63 cents for every hundred dollars. And you know, artists like uh, Snoop Dogg have talked about where the fuck is the money going, right? Well, it's, it's going into the hands of business people, mm-hmm. you know, and the artist is just completely cut out of it. Let's start with the producers. They drain all the color from art. I can't comprehend lines financial charts profit motives measurable loss they're driving fast and furiously like they're on the sauce like lieutenant dan's legs are fucking off okay that's just a thumb sunshine turn and cough what is the biggest generate uh the biggest thing in music now that generates actual money it isn't is concerts uh, no oh. no it is not okay no it is not so i have i had a friend i haven't seen him for three years or so but i had a friend i used to go out to um coffee with every saturday uh-huh. when i was in montreal um he is one of the top executives for jam industries jam industries is a multi-billion dollar music company what they do is they sell the music equipment to places like guitar center that, that sell it to me and you, but, but they, they do all the deals and to all the, you know, the, they're just, dist- yeah, their yeah. distribution network. Yeah. Is what they are. So when he would get, when he would get concert tickets to, uh, you know, um, you know, go, go big, see big let's say, Paul McCartney, he would usually get it from the drummer of Paul McCartney. Right, because he, he worked sold, for he Zillage and Symbols yeah. for ten years and helped them define their marketing plan yeah. back yeah. in the day. So he he knows people, but mm. this is what's really making money is is the equipment that's being made and being sold to people that want to play music. So the consumer values music personally. The yeah. consumer values playing music. Right, but the business people have severed the relationship between the audience and the artist, and this is one of the things that I'm really interested in trying to repair. And one of the things that I did with the um, the concept album, the Prophet, and also the Marriage of Heaven and Hell, is I wanted to create some type of art that has depth. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to actually connect with an audience that connects with me, where they see the value in that type of art. And this is why this podcast, Believe in Artists Helping Artists, is because I believe that if we start creating something that has depth, weight, and value, and an audience follows us, but not follows us on streaming service, but starts to trust that the the relationship that we're building with them is of value, that they'll support us and help us to grow. That's the vision. What do you think about that shit? I like it. Oh, <laughs> tell me. You heard what's it up. here first, people. Tell me what's up, man. I like it. Well, <clears throat> I mean, there was a lot to digest there, but always is with me. Yeah, but there's. <clears throat> There's definitely, there's definitely, it's definitely when you control the market, it's like classic supply and demand, you know, when you control the market and the value of whatever it is. And like, we talk about the media and everything and the people who own these platforms and the managers of these people that are involved in this. And even, you know, actresses, actors that are, you know, just in the circle and everything like that. It's uh, the circle is very small. 
So to get into it, it's just kind of shitty because there's only one league. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. there's like just one league of music and it's like major league. So it's just like, you don't really have a choice unless you're like that one artist to break through. And then you have to have just such stellar hits hit after hit, after hit, after hit. Um, you have to win. It's like, the thing is like, you got to win by 20 just to win by one, you know, or this artist like Rebecca Black who does Friday. And all of a sudden, because she knows some connections, it's like a, you know, a, a famous song mm. or you have artists that are like subpar and we all fucking know it, but you're just like, come on, man. Like you're, you're I, I've heard four people just on this underground random 20,000 views at 10,000 times better than this million view person. Yeah. You know, so it is like the value of like how much you want to put in this person because they're marketable or this, it's like, it's not, who cares? But what about the art? You know, like, what about the art? Like, no one ever talks about that at the end of the day. Mm. It's like, yeah, but they trash. It's like, they make basic 4-4 four, four songs. It's like, they're not really that musically talented. And sometimes the, the actual <clears throat> concept behind the song itself is kind of wanting, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cash is in. Okay, bro. Go ahead, begin. Paid by the rhyme, so I toss my two cents in. Two cents in. Ain't never free if they hit like money spent. Check pockets getting thin. Ain't broke, pretty bad. Lost half my cash, full conscious cleared. Battle back against hate and fear. My two cents in, pulled one cent in. It's 50 cent in the wind. Cash it talk never mends. When I was ass out broke, had I meet them ends. So there was a, a group I've talked about before, but I want to get deeper into these mm, motherfuckers. Let's dive. And this is this is Herbert, Herbert Mercusa. He's one of the guys that came from the Frankfurt School of Thought. And you, do you remember me talking about the Frankfurt School of Thought? At <laughs> yes, all? I do. Okay, so to anybody that's been listening to this podcast that might know what I'm talking about, uh, this will be a refresher for anybody that hasn't. This is basically, there was a group of research, researchers um, associated with the Institute for Social Research in Frankfurt, Germany. Um, they applied Marxism to radical interdisciplinary social theory. The Institute for Social Research was founded in 1923 um, it, at the University of, of Frankfurt in Germany. And it was the first Marxist-oriented research center affiliated with major German university. Okay, um, Max Horkenheimer took over as director in 1930, and he was part of the Frankfurt School of Thought here in the United States. But before that motherfucker got in the United States with Herbert Marcuse, Eric Fromm, and some of these people, um, some things had happened. Now, as you can imagine, they're in Germany, and it's you know 1930s when this dude took over that research center. Um, he recruited talent, talented theorists like uh, Ardorno, Eric Fromm, Herbert Marcuse, Walter Benjamin. These were, you know, philosophy people, sociologists, Those them psychologists. Dudes. They them dudes. They were learned men, but they were. They also had some other things that was going on in their lives. They also a little shady. They were in. They were no. They weren't shady. <laughs> <laughs> I got them shady all of a sudden. Oh no! I just thought going no, a little they, dark. they were. They were in. They were in Germany. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they also happen to be a little bit slightly, just a bit Jewish. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, that's not shady. So, <laughs> that's not shady. <laughs> so, you might have watched my partner over there. So, 1930, <laughs> 1930, right? The next few years was really interesting. And because they, they paid attention to what was going on in that place, um, at one point, they said, let's leave. Did you say, let's leave? <laughs> let's leave. <laughs> we, we need to get the no, fuck we out. out. We out. We need but, to go. But what they were paying attention to was the, the was the propaganda that was going on in in the 30s in Germany and what was leading up to World War II, right? Um, as, as Hitler was gaining power, um, and when he when he took power, basically that's when they kind of left and they came here to the United States, um, and they set up the Frankfurt School of Thought here, um, became part of uh, Columbia University. Um, but, you know, some of the things that was going on in, in Germany, right, there was a, a series of massive bonfires um, in Nazi Germany where they burned thousands of books written by Jews, people like these, right, intellectuals, um, written by communists or others, uh, people like uh, Albert Einstein, right, his, his books were burned, Sigmund Freud, his books were burned, Ernest Hemingway, Helen Keller, Jack London, Karl Marx, they were, they were burned, Right, um, this was the suppression of thought. Mm-hmm. Right, but a lot of in a lot of ways there was art there. There was art there, um, and and I think that the Nazis uh, knew what the power was inside of books and inside of art. Well, it's like uh, the movie Smallville. Uh, that's what I just thought of right away when you said that. Have you seen that movie? No. All right, so it's with. Um, uh, Jeff Daniels is in it. Tobey Maguire's in it. Kristen Dunst. And I can't remember who the female is. Um, but they get sent back into, it's a it's a TV show, like back in the day, Smallville. But the thing is, is when they send, when they go back into it, um, the son, Tobey Maguire, is like an expert of the show. But his sister, Kristen Dunst, is not, like she just goes back and they get transformed That's into- his the, sister in the show? The same yeah. one he was kissing on I know, in Spider-Man? funny. Now that I think about it, that's fucking hilarious. Did they kiss in this one? Nah, nah, nah. Oh, they cool, they cool okay. in this one. I'll just make so, sure. But anyways- um, she goes there and it's like a perfect place, you know? Um, but she goes there and kind of draws some, he- some chaos. And all of a sudden, like they see color for the first time and it's dangerous mm. because free thought, free will, free expression, um, all those things are dangerous and they are, you know, they, they, they can be, I'll say it like that. They can be because, you know, like we say in propaganda is real, you know, but you know, it's just, uh, but in that whole thing, it's like when you have when you have something going that's so radically different than what you want to be the norm, it's you know it's scary. Um, revolutions are scary for the person that you don't want to have it against. You know, there's obviously a, two sides to everything. Um, but it is. It's just very interesting how you know, like you said, it's just devalued and just oppressed so constant. So, well, these guys were watching like the 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 devaluing and the censorship and all this and that in Germany in, in the, the culture that was leading up to the war machine that, that Nazi Germany became. And they were, let's say concerned. Right? <laughs> That's why they left. And where did they come? They came to the United States. They actually moved to California um, and eventually became, like I said, part of uh, Columbia university. Um, but you know these guys they were they were intellectuals and they just saw things a little differently when they came here because one of the things the united states was um we were set to become 
um, the leaders in the world as far as films go, as far as art goes, you know? And one of the ways that it happened is because of what was going on in Europe. Yeah. A lot of the people that were involved with the arts got the fuck out of they Dodge. They had to. They did. They and didn't they, have a choice. And they came here. Yeah. So this is what propelled the United States and Hollywood to become the powerhouse mm. that it was, is we got the best of the best of the best of artists from around the world that showed up on our doorstep. It was made. <laughs> this country was made for art. <laughs> it, it was. Okay, I'm going to premise it, what it actually was on the undertone. It was. So they, they were also observing what basically was going on here in the United States. Um, so, you know, these guys, the members of the Frankfurt School, they, they tried to develop a theory of society that was based on Marxism and Hegelian philosophy, which, which was Hegel, right? Um, but which also utilized the insights of psychoanalysts, sociology, existential philosophy, and other disciplines. They used basic Marxist concepts to analyze the social relations within the capitalist economic system. Huh. So they were they were looking at us yeah. through this lens because they were kind of wondering, you know, did we make the right choice? For sure. <laughs> is, is this the place we want to be? I so, mean, did we just go into the exact same situation? Well, like, no, here's the thing. Like, you know, you, you're in a place like Nazi Germany and you're Jewish. You might be a little paranoid after and you then get the flip, out. That's, that's what I'm saying. Right? It's like, did we just jump into the exact same situation is what I well, mean? Yeah, like, oh, yeah. That's, that's, what I, that's what I mean. That's like, what they motherfuckers they say, like, That's what I meant. Like, wait, yeah. did we just put ourselves as being the person that's going to be, you know, hated upon. That's exactly yeah. That's what right. I meant. Like so. So this episode, we're going to focus on some of the ideas that they put out about our culture. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Today, we're going to focus on these ideas that they use to frame calling us uh, and and our industry the culture industry, because they saw our industry of Hollywood and things like that as as a business that was creating a culture mm -hmm. for a specific reason. And one of the things they said is they, they, they saw um, homogeny being created. Now, do you, are you familiar with homogeny is? I don't think so. Think about like milk, right? Okay. Right. Uh, biologically what, similar. That was the only word that I, I knew, but I was like, I don't know how that right. plays to this. So. Well, th this is the way that they framed our culture. Okay. So, so homogeny is biologically similar in structure. So where everything's the same, right? So this milk and that milk is going to have the same flavor because it's been homogenized. So this is the way that our society is becoming okay. homogenized, okay. right? Um, and, and their idea is that our consumption culture keeps imagination stunted. That's what they said. They said it's, it's a, a, a culture industry that keeps our imagination stunted. Wow. Right? That's fascinating. It's an industry that has two purposes, they saw. Huh. One was profit. Facts. Okay. Um, not the production of art uh, to question the soul or stimulate imagination. Because it's, it's meant to create profits. It's also designed to be consumed constantly. This is why we have all these disposable trends. But in, in doing so, you're making art disposable 
Yeah. And thereby were making artists disposable as well. Now they wrote that book in in I believe 1944, this this book that we're kind of looking at today. So this is almost a hundred years. You know? And I would say from that time to this time, um, we have completely devalued artists and a lot of the topics that art has taken on. Um the second thing that they said that that the intention was is to instill an ideology that keeps people in this state of homogeny, right? Where where we're all kind of the same, and you know people aren't exactly the same, but it's it's kind of I, like let's say we're all farmers, right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna have the same kind of um, clothing. Well, it's like the true like everyone's equal. Well. It, it, in this country, the the homogeny exists in this way. None of us really challenge the system. We kind of stay in place. The same thing school was kind of intended to do, to keep us from really rising up and challenging things. If you look at every movie and, and television show, most of them, the hero is challenging things. They're overcoming. And it gives us this vicarious pleasure so we don't actually have to do it in our real life. We live through them. <laughs> yes, we do. But but nothing ever changes. Everything in, in our culture seems to be on the downward spiral. But we can turn on TV and watch these Marvel movies and feel empowered when the hero is doing hero shit. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to be the hero. Hell yeah. So we have these... Um, mythological type gods, Batman, Superman, you know what I mean? Uh, or, uh, you know, the, the, the actors and actresses that we look up to Kim Kardashian, you know, <laughs> motherfuckers worship these people. You know, these are the gods of the culture industry, the false idols. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, we want to dress like them. We want to walk like, you, talk like, yeah. So this is this is some of the stuff that they looked at. Um, the The book was basically called Dialect of uh, of Enlightenment, and it was um, published in January of 1944. So this was during the the World War II, right? Um, they basically said, you know, films and radio magazines, and and today we would include television and and, and online media, right? But they said that this makes up a system that's uniform. As a whole, in other words, it's not too varied. It's it's kind of well, similar. It's the same thing we were just talking about. Like you're just in one league. Yeah, there's only one. There's only one league to play in. You, you know, that's all you have. That's all you have. Mass culture under the monopoly of the industry, exactly, creates people that are somewhat identical. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone, everyone has a Twitter. I'm just saying it like this. I'm gonna say it like generally, but like. You have one Twitter handle, you have one Facebook page, you have one this thing, you have one this thing where it's just like, but everyone has that, you know, it's, right. but, but it's yours. And yeah. our, our personality is but about whatever trend, whatever we're, trend we're in right now. Yeah. yeah. Huh. The truth is that they are nothing um, but a business, this, this, you know, culture industry. Um, and and they use these ideologies to legitimize the the trash that they intentionally produce, um, is, <laughs> is what the the school of thought said. So this was it's a powerful fucking shit that these motherfuckers were pointing out in 1944, you know. Um, but that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. 
Now, that was their opinion in 1944. Imagine what they would say today. The exact same thing. Well, they, they said where, where it was going to lead in 1944. And I want to ask you if it's true. So Adorno and Horkheimer claim that the culture industry does this. It dominates those which it excludes. There's a, there's a portion of society yeah. that it excludes. Yeah. Let's say the poor. Let's yeah, just throw it's, that it's just shit easy. out. I was like, that's the, that's what it is. I mean, and it, this yeah. it inevitably leads society into a barbaric state is what they said in 1944. But yeah. Are we here? Yeah. We're damn close. Mm. We're damn close because it is, man. Like every, only a select few get that. Remember, certain undesirable people. Step into the realm, the game's very short. Until my last rap gets expired. Hard, straight, huh, out of the dark. An instant flesh, quick to part. You know, and, and it is almost like selected. Like we just talked about earlier, how people are, you know, nepotism is the best thing to say within education and whatnot. Like, someone who went to Harvard, I have a good chance that their son's going to go to Harvard, you know? Um, whereas you'll have one guy from a neighborhood going, you know, to where you have a certain neighborhood where 15 guys are going and <clears throat> yeah, man, you just, uh, it's just kind of a crazy, it's just crazy that, you know, it's just crazy that, you know, a person can, can get caught up so easily in a system and then, and then just want to be like you want something so bad that you're willing to like sacrifice individuality for it. And it's just so wild because it's like, that's actually the chase and the dream a lot. And like, that's what this culture has given us because that consumerism, it's like, you're constantly like, I got to always upgrade. I always got to always upgrade. I always got to upgrade, you know, well, they got that. I got to get that. Like, damn, did you see that new phantom? Damn, did you see that? Damn, they got new shoes. Damn, it's just like, it's always somebody else by just sitting there and being like, well, I got light power and running water. I'm winning, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, that was a lot there. You know, to focus on music for a second, um, you know, it's funny. You ever listen to country music? Some, yeah. Okay, I, I've I've liked a few country artists. I'm gonna say Me too. there's been a few. Like I was I was a Johnny Cash dude, right? I like Johnny Cash. I've had some of his albums. I, at one time, I liked that Garth Brooks dude and Brooks and Dunn and a few different people, right? Charlie Daniels. But I'm to be honest with you, I have been more opposed to country music than other forms of music. I've I've, I've uh, heard a couple of these rants. Well, it's not necessarily a rant. It is, I feel, um, and I don't know, maybe maybe the country today. I'm not going to speak too much on the country today because honestly, I have not listened to much country music for about 15, maybe 16 years. You know, I used to hear it all the time when I was in Florida on the job sites. I just heard it. You know what I mean? Because um, we'd have the radios going and that was pretty much the music that you heard, Right. But here's the thing. I feel that that hip hop, I feel that rock and roll, I feel that that punk, these things they put out ideas that challenge the structure of our society. You know, they might speak out against government a little bit. They might speak out against they, they, business. They show a magnifying glass to a particular lens in society. It can. It not can. always. It, not always, but it can. It Obviously, can. like Rims and Tim's rap is different than 
you know, what you do. So it can, yeah, it can. But with country music, it was always about the flag, um, God, you know, lost my girl. Yeah. Lost my depressing stuff. Um, go to work, have a beer. You know, I like to dance. Crack a tall boy. Yeah. You know, it it was, it kind of was like Forrest Gump a bit. It kept you, (laughs) it kept you in the lane. I'm not saying dumb, but I'm saying it kept you in the lane. It didn't have ideas that really challenged things, you know? Um, And if it did, uh, like what what would happen when the Dixie Chicks, when they spoke out against politics? Bye. Shut up and sing. Now 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 they're just the chicks. Yeah. Now here's an here's, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> here's an example of the freedoms that you would have as a country musician compared to the freedoms that you might have or the censorship you might run into if you're uh, NWA, right? When they said fuck the police. Fuck the police. Or um you know, they were part of the Filthy 15. Do you know who the Filthy mm-hmm. 15 was? Well, the artists that those ladies were trying to those ladies? Yeah. Remember who they were? Reagan's wife or Carter's wife. It was wife Reagan's or, wife. It yeah. was the Bush wives. Mm. It was the Clinton wives. Those ladies, uh, I called them. <laughs> Gore's yeah. wife. Yeah, those it ladies, was right? Republican, Democrat. It was the Washington wives. The Washington wives. They wanted they wanted a lot of artists to be censored. And if you look down the list, there was people on there like, like Prince was on there, right? Twisted Sister was on there. Um, Cindy Lauper. Right. Real dangerous people. Yeah, real, right? real dangerous. Real dangerous people. But um, they wanted them to be censored because of some of the, the dangerous things that these these artists were saying. Right. Um, there was no country musicians on the list to be censored. None. The same year that the Washington wives were trying to have Congress um, basically put a muzzle on artists. Right, um, there was a concert in Washington D.C. right down the street from the White House. David Allen Coe, he was putting on a show. Huh. Do you know who David Allen Coe is? I know. Yes, I know who, who he is. Like the, the visual of him, I don't know much about him though. So he was an outlaw biker, country musician, yeah. right? I think he was a convict at one point yes. in time. He wrote songs like Take This Job and Shove so, It. Okay, yes, I know. Right? Yep. That dude. That's That dude. But he also wrote beautiful songs like Come Stains on My Pillow. That's a beautiful one. You know? That's what I hope to sing um, to my wife one day. Yeah, but he also did like really super racist songs. Right? That's how I know Mikey. Oh, well, I just shout out to a homie, Mikey. Mikey's the one who talked about this guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I know him. Okay. Yes. I was like, why does this sound so familiar? Yes. Dude, his, his music was racist. Very racist. Say his name one more time again. David Allen Coe. Yes. And I, can I say something about this? This is why he can't, my boy can't stand Chris Stapleton. Cause this fool would like cover his tracks, but only sing the good ones and not sing the bad ones. I don't know. It's just a funny thing. He goes on this hella rant. So every time he hears Chris Stapleton, fuck that guy. He's the, yeah, just anyways, shout out Mikey. Well, you know, some of the, uh, some of the songs that he did and you give you like a little frame of reference. He put out a Christmas album. Yes. (laughs) Right. He put out a Christmas album. Um, Rudolph, the big lip negro, no, yeah, right? Like, yeah, yeah, like bad. That, these were some of his songs, right? Um, he had some, he had some, some stuff, you know, <laughs> he had some shit, man, but he never made, he never made the list. 
right? He never made the list from the Washington wives. And why? Why do you think that is? Well, it's the message you want to portray. It's not dangerous music. It's not dangerous music. Exactly. Exactly. It wasn't there really challenging some things. Yeah. This is kid appropriate. It's family friendly. We let our kids listen to this stuff. Pretty much. Pretty much. Bullshit. They're doing cocaine in the bathroom right now. <laughs> Fuck you. You know, and uh, it was uh, it was actually the guy, um, D. Schneider from, from Twisted Sister that spoke with Congress. If anybody's interested in this topic, look up D. Schneider speaking to Congress um, and the Washington Wives. And it's still on YouTube today, his little speech. But he floored everybody. You know why? I don't. I know that he was like elo very eloquent about how he... No, I don't. Just I, I know I've watched it one time, but I don't remember much about it. So he basically went in there, this long-haired rocker from Twisted Sister. Congress did not expect him to be educated, well-spoken, and have a point. And he debated him. Yeah. And he won. Like, I remember he made him look silly. And they, like, were, they were ready to put the locks down on the artists of that time. Right. But they, after listening to what he had to say, they didn't. And the only power that the Washington wives had after that was putting those little stickers on albums yeah. that says explicit lyrics. Which, which all it did is make people want it more. Well, that, that's part of it, you know, but, you know, and I think some places like, you know, uh, Walmart, right. Like they used to like silence the the dirty words <laughs> oh yeah i used to get so angry at that when i was a kid you know but not only is is the the artist been devalued but i actually think some of the ideas that artists put out have been devalued you know it's like we accept um certain type of themes mm -hmm. um but we will say these themes are dangerous and it, the ones that really concern me is the ones that that don't even make it into the mainstream media. Songs like Fuck the Police. When those guys said that, did it need to be said? A group of people felt like it needed to be said. <laughs> Definitely. I, I think when they said it, that message needed to be heard. I think that people are making music or doing art, hopefully, because they're portraying a message that they want people to be heard. So yeah, it's exactly what it is. You know, and I think there's wonderful police in the world. I'd say most of them well, yeah, it, in, in the United there's States. There's more good police than bad police. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, but, you know, at the same time, we needed to look at some things back in, <laughs> yeah. in the time that these guys were saying this stuff. I mean, when, when did NWA put out that song? I mean, I don't in know exactly. I would, say like 90, I would say like 92. I can look, I mean, we can look it up if we really want to, but. Well, you don't have to do that right well, I mean, now. I'm, that's probably the internet's quick. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, but it came, so it came out in 1988. So, I mean, I was three years old. Mm. But, but yeah, I mean, it did. And I, you know, you, even if you watch the movie and whatnot, you saw how even the polices were portrayed even in that movie. And it was probably even worse in real life, you know, how they were and everything. 
how they just say like, if you just say this one word, you're going to get arrested. And it's like, I thought this was free speech, man. You know, the whole thing. And it's, the thing is, it's, it's, uh, oh, it's just, it's a funny, it's just a funny thing because freedom of speech is always nice when it benefits you. I'll say that. Mm. Well, so they were being censored for speaking out about the police brutality that they felt existed in the ghetto. Yes. Right. This was what was considered dangerous by the Washington wives. Now let's just look at David Allen Coe, who, like I said, put a concert on that year, right down the street from the white house and was never included in the filthy 15. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to read some of the lyrics from, from this motherfucker. Now this is a racist dude and I'm going to, I'm going to change the way that the word is said, right? I ain't going to drop the N bomb. I'm going to say ginger, right? The title of the song is ginger fucker by, by, uh, David Allen Coe, right? So, so here's some of the lyrics. She said someday I would understand what love was all about. She said I could have the kids and she was moving out. She said she finally found a man whose dick was so much bigger than that scumbag motherfucking ran off with a ginger. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. And to think, I licked the pussy with where that big black dick had been and kissed the lips that sucked him off time and time again. It's enough to make a man throw up. Sure is hard to figure how any decent girl could ever fuck a greasy ginger <laughs> jesus oh and it gets worse that's just halfway through the song and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go through the whole goddamn song but this dude didn't make the filthy 15 you know why because country music is all about that flag mm -hmm. and god america and you know keeping people in their lane so keep in mind what the the, the frankfurt school of thought says that the culture industry was about was suppressing suppressing revolution. Yes. Let's, let's just keep it how it is. Yeah. So the that's, good old days. That's what it is. Make America great again. Now the question is, is, is the artist devalued because they're dangerous? <clears throat> I think people with the ability to have free thought and expression are dangerous. Yeah. So those to people, who <laughs> to, well, to the status quo, to the status quo. I mean, the, for the mind, they're dangerous to the minority of people that would like to maintain the status quo. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like if you like, it's like whole thing. Like, no, man, I like this. We we all good, man. Everything's all good. Yeah, for you, ain't good for me over here. It's cold outside. So here's a term that I don't know if it, maybe you've heard of it: capitalist realism. Have you ever heard that term? Mm, nah, actually. And not okay. like as, a, as an actual concept. Capitalist realism is not only confined to art, but more like a pervasive atmosphere conditioning not only through the production of culture, but also the regulation of work and education, acting as an invisible barrier that constrains thought and action. The thing that keeps us in our place, okay? So Capitalist Realism was a, a book that was written in 2009 by a British philosopher named Mark, Mark Fisher. Fisher. You know the dude. 
I, I know the dude. I didn't realize this was the guy who wrote this Capitalist book. Capitalist realism. Is there no alternative yeah. to capitalism is what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Basically, he he describes capital realism as this, this widespread sense that not only is capitalism the only viable political and economic system, but that it becomes impossible to imagine any coherent alternative to it. Yeah. There comes a point right now, like, I can't, it's hard to imagine it without the way it is. Mm. Yeah, he's right. And I think that when it comes to art, that's one of the issues that we're having is we can't imagine art existing outside of the structure of the culture industry, which outside is, of the which business. Is so, yeah. Well, I think that the vision, the, the art that is put in front of you on a constant is, is like, there's, there's artists who are still very good. You know, like, don't get me wrong. Like I'm trying to say, like, there's, there's that thing, but to, to put your voice up on a platform that it's actually going to get enough recognizable eyes is very difficult mm. to actually make that. So yeah, you may be a cool little artist, but you have like Da Vinci quite skill. I'm just making a thing like Da Vinci skill, but you can't get out of like your local, you know, your local little museum or something like that just because it doesn't pop off for you or some shit. So, and you know, I think that the part of the culture industry is interested in separating you, the audience, from your money. That's that's its goal. To right? se- to the culture you in the, the, from your money. The culture industry, the business, like the music producers, uh-huh. right? The the investors in film. Uh-huh. They want to separate the audience from their money, and they want to take their money, right? Like yes. Like when you go to a movie theater, okay. they want your goddamn money. Yeah, they, they, don't, they, they don't want your opinions. No, <laughs> they want your money. Right. Um, and this is the game that, that art is playing right now is, is there's so many people that's creating and making, trying to make it in the structure of the business that exists, but there's no value for artists. Right. What did we just say in, in 1970, it was $2.33 a song, then $2 and $1.40. And yeah. now it's Point 60, zero, 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 yeah, zero, zero, 63 one. cents for every hundred dollars it generates. Right. Uh, so you're talking about a, a devaluation that has existed. Um, we can't keep doing business like this. Nah. I think, I think where the audience needs to do is we need to cut the middleman out of the business period. They, they, some artists have tried. They trying. Yeah, but they try to do it within the structure of the system. Yeah. Now. If you create some art that has some depth, some weight, that the artist is actually questioning their soul and it actually questions the soul of the people that's taking part in the art, that can change some lives and Mm -hmm. thinking. And that's what's dangerous to people. Absolutely. And guess what? That's the shit I'm making. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And the stuff I have ain't been for sale. I've just been putting it out. You guys devalued stuff. My shit's free. But what I do want to do is I want to create a connection, not just between me and an audience, but between other artists. That's why this podcast is about artists helping artists. It's just such an important like undertone and what is missing is community. We were just talking about that. I, I don't know. I was just talking about the group of people and we were talking about how, oh, we were talking about how in Italy, um, what my friend was in Italy and he goes, one thing I miss about Italy, he goes, the neighborhood would get together for dinner. 
Mm. And he would talk about like the people that are in like the little subsection of the the alleyway. And he goes, and I used to miss, he goes, I miss those days, man. And I was like, damn, that's really cool. And he's like, yeah, man, you just all ate together on like Sunday night. And everyone just brought a dish and we all just kind of ate at this big ass table. I was like, that's real cool. And I was like, man, we missing community, bro. Yeah. Like we missing it bad. Like we can actually help, like help each other a lot. We could. You just gotta, but it's like having those conversations though. And, you know, being vulnerable and asking for help and doing all those things, it's, these are all hard things because we've, you know, been put in a structure where individuality is praised and being different, which is good, but there's also some negatives to it too sometimes. You know, and that's one of the big messages that, that we've had in films and, and movies and stuff is, is it's okay to be anything you want. This is one of the biggest messages that the Disney movies have put out for a long time. It's okay. You're okay. Be anything you want. Be you. Mm-hmm. Do you. You know, but somewhere along the line, um, you has become just like a reflection of the trends, you know, (laughs) Um, rather than some introspective view of the world, like where you actually sit back and you're like, well, what do I actually believe? Who am I? Yeah. The best day to feel is when you, when you're, I won't, for me, I like being confused sometimes and just being like, what the fuck is going on right now, man? Like we're, I don't know, there's just occasionally I'll be looking, I'll feel like I'm in a movie or like a video game or simulation or some shit. I'm like, this can't be real. Uh, this can't be real, man. No way. And well, got to go to work now. <laughs> so this shit must be real. <laughs> Sorry. It's all good, dude. I, Coughing up you know, I know that this is a big topic and we are going to revisit this thing on a special episode here in the next few weeks. Um, we're going to go into the marriage of heaven and hell after this and, and dive right into that. But we're going to do a special episode of, of the truth to power podcast. And we're going to have some guests when, when we come time to do that. <gasps> some guests. And, and this will kind of be a little bit of the topic. And I'm, I'm hoping that we actually gain some momentum with this artist helping artist idea, because we've been talking about this for a little while now, how we want to involve some other artists. Um, and, and we're going to be actively looking for some other artists uh, over the next year. And we're going to try to put together some shows where people can actually not just connect to the art, but to the artists themselves. How do you feel about this shit that we're doing, man? Are you excited? Wait, what are we doing? You don't- <laughs> nah, yes, of course I'm excited, man. We got some big things coming up here. I think we're in a really good position uh, to help people, uh, to bring people together and to really start having some open and honest conversations and, you know, be constructive of each other in a good way, you know, like, like just help each other out to grow. And that's just, you know, that's what it's about, man. The power in numbers is real. So this is some cool shit going on. I'm really excited. And, you know, if you are an artist of any type, I'll ask your boys, get at us. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, most record producers, most film companies want to separate you from your money. We want to build a connection we with you. We want to give you your money. Yeah. We want to give you a connection to, the, to what we're actually making and to the artist that's making it. Um, so on the Truth to Power podcast, this is kind of what we believe. We are imperfectly human. You know, we're just average fucking dudes that believe that we need to start having conversations through the lens of art because we, the people aren't talking. Mm. How we doing? Struggling. How we doing? Struggling. Yeah. We're like them chickens on the chicken farm separated in them cages. 
Can't move very much. I want that grass-fed food. Can't move very much in that cage. I'm stuck. The struggle is real. Muscles get weak, get fat, get lazy. Uh, I you can't know, even hit the gym here. And you know what they do to them chickens? <laughs> they cut off their beaks so they don't peck each other to death because they're packed in so close and Whoa. tight. So none of us got peckers. <laughs> well. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so let's let's wind this motherfucker down. So what are you thinking about in this devaluation of art and the artists? Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I just, I don't ever want it to stop art artists from creating art, though. You know, I don't think it will. I don't think, actually, I know it won't, because artists, true artists, will always figure out a way to express themselves. But, you know, if we start the same way that the rich-ass motherfuckers can make a dumbass painting worth something, we can also do the same shit on, the, you know, on a minor level. 10,000 albums at a dollar is the same as one for $10,000. And I think we need to take the power away from the business people. Give it to the peeps. Because the business people are got this whole industry in a stranglehold. Choke. Hold. Where art can free the soul and free the mind. And there shouldn't really be a cost to that, to be honest with mm. you. Mm. Um it's nice to get some donations because <laughs> it's not free to do this stuff, right? It's not free to do this. People that make the art have to be able to survive. Your boy's hungry. But here's the thing that Pablo Picasso said, that art washes away from the soul, the dust of everyday life. Mm. Now mm. that's... Bars. That's something that has stood the test of time because those words have weight. You know, and he spent a lot of his time thinking about art and what the connection was to the art in the world. And people have spent a long time appreciating what he's made and what he's done. So here on the Truth Power podcast, we're making some art. We're making something that's going to last a little bit longer than a trend. But it is a little bit different and it might require a second look or even a listen to the Truth of Power podcast to figure out what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> I am Curious G. And I got my man, Ace Cannon. And we will revisit this topic again on a special episode where we will have a few guests joined in. And I think we're actually going to have that one on video. So if you guys are wondering what the fuck we look like, we might just be disappointing you real soon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wear a mask that day. Would you really? No. I would. I, I might be the unknown <laughs> podcaster. Do it. The if, unknown you do, podcast. if you do it, I'll do it. No, I ain't wearing no <laughs> fucking mask. Nah, bro. This is the truth. This is your boy. We stand here, man. All right. Truth to power. We out. Home that motherfucker. Wax and gas. Home that motherfucker. Pass track. Home that motherfucker. Glass bag. I'm that motherfucker that don't come fast Swung in the hot, a freak show mash I'm that motherfucker on the gas Right on time or break Shake, wake, crack up, hold on fast Here come that flash Light slows down and waves my ass to pass Light slows down and waves my ass to pass Light slows down and waves my ass to pass Damn Woo. Wow So, artist helping artists, dude Artist helping artists Yeah, you feel that shit? Oh, absolutely, man Absolutely Tell me how you feel it working with me. Dude, I like it. I freaking, I've enjoyed it. I've had a good time. 
we've now been friends and business partners and musical uh what would you be like a DJ slash producer <laughs> slash I'm, MC I, extraordinaire? I am an MC, a master yeah, you're of MC. ceremonies. And I'm, I'm DJ Jazzy Jeff, dude, on the ones and twos. What has it well, been, two years now? Shit. Well, I'd say that you are the, the wizard. I wouldn't put you in the DJ classification. <laughs> but you hey, are the, the way I cut up, the way I chop the, up samples and drum breaks, baby, that's DJ style over here. Dude, you're, you're the hermit. You're you're the nomad, right? They call me you, DJ DJ Hermit, DJ Nomad. <laughs> <laughs> but you know this this whole concept of artists helping artists. This is the core value of this podcast, right? Yes. And and when I say truth to power, it isn't Anthony that speaks truth to power. It isn't myself that's speaking truth to power. But it's the right. voice of artists. And I've led the right. charge in a sense with this three album set. And we're about to head into the marriage of heaven and hell, which is a, a, a more spiritual type um, right. group, grouping of songs. But how does it feel to uh, create art like this? This specifically or yes, music what we, with you in what general? What we have done. What we have done. Man, it's really freaking cool. Uh, just getting all the information for this podcast to put it together with all the songs like i always tell you um because sometimes when when they're hearing this song we have already made this song a while ago right it's sure. always a step down memory lane like when i'm you, you send me the the tracks to add to this today like take it like drac love that song framed love that song let me work this original i had forgotten that we did a remix and i hear it like when i'm <laughs> before we got on here and i'm like Oh shit! This is badass. I had forgot we'd done that. Hum. And, I mean, does it get any better than hum, dude? You got fucking Aunt Ace Cannon and Curious G on the like rocking shit with Rob making the beat. Doesn't get much better than that, dude. And and Randy pressing that mic record, right? We, we, Fuck we, yeah, we, dude. But you know, Fuck. if you remember the essence of that song, "Let Me Work This," which is the one that's being featured on this episode, I right. said to you a long time ago, "This is our business card." I want you to come you with did. the music in such a way that you show people what you do. You right? did. And you did. and I came with the lyrics speaking directly to artists where I'm saying, let's get busy filming shit, busting tracks out, dropping hits. Hmm. You know what I mean? Hmm. But more importantly, let's hit the stage and, and speak some truth to power. You know, and that's kind of the idea here is that artists can come together and they can frame the world and their opinions in any way that they feel like creatively. You know, while they nurture themselves, they can get a voice into the world. And together, collectively, we can make something that isn't ordinary, but rather extraordinary. But it takes all of us. Did you rehearse that? That was really fucking cool. Fuck no. I'm inspired I'm now. <laughs> I'm speaking from the heart at the moment. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm trying to inspire some people, including you. Now, my question for you is, how does it feel to have made The Prophet 2022? It feels fucking good, man. Anytime you start something um, that you believe in and it comes out dope, because sometimes we've we've had ideas for tracks and they didn't come out how we wanted them to, right? You know? Certainly. Certainly. Um, <clears throat> with The Prophet 2022, I feel like that project we didn't have any filler on it everything came out how we had outlined it 
and discussed it and worked on it and remade it and re-recorded sometimes and remixed and remastered. But isn't it very gratifying when you can when it's finally dropped, you can step back and kind of listen to it with objective ears, not so much in like a working sense because it's like what we do, we do this because we're artists, we do this because we're producers, we do this because we like doing it. But sometimes on my end, this is what I do for a living. So I have to separate art sometimes from work and because you don't want art to start feeling like work and you don't want to just make music just to pay bills. But sometimes that's what it feels like with this project. It didn't feel like that. It felt natural. It was hard to make. But when it, now that it's it's been out for a while now, but when you can step back and listen to it, I'm, I'm really proud of it. What about you, Sean? I don't know if that dude, answers the question. But it, it's fuck, dude, it's like been it. a while, but my next goal is to get some albums made, like some actual record albums. And yes. the way that, that I want these albums to be structured, I want Headspace to play as we, we first mixed it as one solid piece of art, right? Uh, Storm of Clouds and Smoke, same thing. There's no break in the music. It's like popping on Pink Floyd's The Wall, right? You want to just, just let it run. Well, that's that's the record uh, record albums that we're gonna we're gonna put out. Um, we're gonna have those three albums. Now, keep in mind we haven't really made uh, sacrificing the sli- silence yet right. in, in in the form that we will. But when these three albums are put together and there's a box set, the Profit 2022, there's gonna be some tracks on there that say some things. And I would say that some of those tracks say some dangerous things. Um, what do you feel has been dangerous topic that we've taken on? Oh man, that <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Talk to I, me. Yeah, you know, you know which episode I'm thinking about. It was what two months ago. the The topic of race was uh, interesting. That was an interesting episode. It was one of it was one of the best episodes we've done because it was the first time I've ever ever heard you be like, "Whoa, I, uh, this is uh, I almost Willie, got Willie Lynch. Like, I, Willie yeah, Lynch. Yeah, that that yeah. episode was fucking. It was it was really good. And I know we've talked about it in our segment before, but I do remember uh, that was the most. What's the word for it? Because you're pretty, uh, you're a very objective person, but you also stand by what you say. That was the first time I think I've ever heard you be like, "Ah, eh, you know, that wasn't raw. too much, was it?" That's raw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, "Fuck, this is raw." <laughs> like, holy we we, we shit. hit th- we hit that shit raw, dog, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that I think I think sure. that one of the classics for me is Banks. Um, and I think oh, that yeah. says some dangerous things because when you're talking about actually getting funding and getting some money, the last thing mm-hmm. you want to call out is the people in the world of finance, correct? You know, but right. Absolutely. Um, I just can't help myself. I would like to say that I would rather have funding come from an audience that connects with us, the people that are connecting to true art. If you feel the connection and the relationship, I hope that people give to this idea and this project and not just average people, you know, but groups, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think art is worth it for all the things that Damn. art truly does. And we have made something with these albums that is a little bit immortal, not a trend, and it won't fade away tomorrow. There's some, no, it's different. some things the sound that, that selection, we've said. The- the music you've, dude, the way you've talked about, you've attacked different topics. It's not your standard, like Anthony said it in the, even though I'm not finished with the episode, but I saw when he said it's just basic 4-4 pattern music. The shit we're making and have made, none of it's like that. It's all outside of the box. It's all weird, but weird good. It's 
engaging. It's political. There's some funny stuff in there, here and there. You know what I mean? And it's fucking the shit bums, dude. The production on there, man. I wouldn't put my stamp on it if I didn't believe in it. I fucking made the beat, so you know that shit slaps. <laughs> now, the question is, is what do they have in store with the marriage of heaven and hell? Hmm. I don't know. I do not know. Like, what do you mean, the marriage of heaven and hell on that? That's the oh, next the, two albums. The, oh, oh, the re- oh, you want me to tell the people what they got coming, huh? Yeah. What's up, dude? You got some fucking dude. Is, is it is it possible to type a fire emoji, dude, with your voice? <laughs> you know, I think we got that sound somewhere in our audio files. Um, I'm thinking of a particular song in, in particular uh, called "Bullet" that's coming. You know, like straight fire. Uh, straight fire. Yeah. <laughs> Some fire's coming. Dude, off topic, but on topic. You asked me about the one of the most controversial type episodes I thought of. Can I tell you my favorite like segment ever on this show now that we're approaching the one year anniversary of it coming up? Y- yes, sir. My, my favorite segment you've ever done was mom. Can you plug me into the Christmas Matrix? <laughs> well, you know, there's there's something that's going to tie into that concept. We're going to bring that back at some point. I think as we get close to Halloween, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's, we're getting that's, there. We're that's getting about there. the time that we're going to be hitting some glitch. And um we're going to be getting back we're going to be getting back into the Matrix a little bit and seeing what's up with that topic. But, you know, not to give away too much uh, about what's coming as far as the music goes, but the overall concepts of these projects, um, you know, the marriage of heaven and hell being the human experience, you know, the the heavens of our beliefs and the hell of our desires, you know, comes together in the human experience. And I tried to capture that in these albums coming up. And these are going to be the the, the topics that we're going to dive into in the upcoming uh, next, I don't know, 40 weeks, I suppose. <laughs> Be ready, guys. It's coming. Dare I say, you need to let me work this. Dare I say, you need to let <laughs> me work this. I'm swole up solid like a live with dirt is. <laughs> let, me, let me work, young bloods. I put the hurt in. And uh, by the way, y'all fund this shit because it's worth it. I am Curious G, and this has been Truth to Power. Thank you for sticking through with another episode. This has brought a new turn of events in this show. We are now beginning a new project as far as the albums. This is going to lead into a two-album set. Um, the, the theme of this is The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. And uh, the first song on the album is Crush. Hope you enjoy. Casting call, all you all talent hunted. Quickly, like your clock and jaws, but you gotta want it. Let's get busy filming shit. Stacking tracks, start spinning hits. Bust the bricks to the stage and rip. Maybe we're just talking shit. Whenever I feel that rhythm hit, you know I'm talking like a president from the chest, hot press, tooth resident. Relax, y'all. I sweat and shit. Just want to make art that's relevant. Cause I'm weary of all them reels like I've seen the film before. Hollywood's fresh out of new ideas. Get right, got wrong right through the door. Hollywood's old ass Todd Field. Repackaged soulless meals. Rewatch.
watch, rewind, then conceal. Slow digest, them lies reveal. The one we split, that swish is sweet. Pack that right, back with weed. Helps to swallow the undressed appeal of the shit they sell that don't feel real. Dare I say you need to let me work this Full up solid like a live where dirt is When work young bloods I put the hurt in Heart lights the spark as I ignite the surface Dare I say you need to let me work this Full up solid like a live where dirt is When we work young blood I put the hurt in Heart lights the spark as I ignite the surface Let me work this Let me work this Just let me work this 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 Got, got, got that framework to make this game work. I know how chains work, been in them since birth. Wanna hit this with quickness. Loose lips, sense ships, my lips fit rebirth. Let them who wear chains move down to Cali. Seattle artists hit hardest. Bitch, this ain't the valley. We get savvy with the way we rally. I've got hungry all around me. I'm that artist, lifting artist from darkness. Templates lock them creatives into harness. Free falling into hardness. I thought we all like softness. Yo, by now, I thought you caught this. Either you felt that spark or you decide to walk. As for the rest, we just need to flex. We don't need to talk. Dare I say you need to let me work this. Dare I say you need to let me work this. Swole up solid like I live where dirt is. Let me work young bloods, I put the hurt in. Let me work young bloods, I put the hurt in. Martin lights the spark as I ignite the surface. Let me work this. 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 Just let me work this.